Greyhound leader to track one, over. Track one, we reach Greyhound leader, over. Thank you very much for downloading the Track One podcast. My co-host this week is Ruth Long, a showrunner from Clara Oswald, The Untold Adventures. And this week we'll be doing a commentary on The Ghost Monument. Welcome back, Ruth. Hello. Uh, I, it's, it's good to be back again, especially so soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is only episode two, series 11. Uh, how did you enjoy The Woman Who Lived? Uh, the woman who fell to her. Sorry, <laughs> I think it's because I was I was thinking um, about the Untold Adventures and uh, uh, yeah. yeah see that well, it, also that book came out recently, so yeah, I got that <laughs> last week. Yeah, did you get a copy of that? I did. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I I couldn't not really because yeah. um, <laughs> it, it it's just one of those books that as soon as I heard about it I was like yeah definitely getting in and especially seeing all the artists involved um, some of which are actually working on our series which is very exciting ah, um, so uh, yeah really good book yeah. but um, right Women Who Fell to Earth um, I, I really enjoyed it um, I thought I thought Jodie was absolutely magnificent mm-hmm. she was everything you, you want the Doctor to be but you also really felt that she she felt like a continuation of the twelfth doctor like you felt all of his growth and yet she made it very much her own there was this lovely energy to her um I, I did have some issues with like the plot of the episodes um and uh, I, I'll get into this when we talk about the ghost monument, but I still have a few things that I'm not too sure about at the moment. But in terms of the characters, I love all the new companions, and and Jodie is just amazing. So, yeah, I did really enjoy it. Yeah, I completely agree. She's I think she's knocking out of the park completely. Um, yeah, brilliant performance. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you're ready, we'll we'll start our commentary on episode two, The Ghost Monument. Mm -hmm. Um, If anybody's watching along at home, um, we will press play in three, two, one. Uh, And with the new title sequence, which I think is absolutely stunning. Yeah, I'd say it's the best one we've had. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly. Definitely Um, really harks back to, I think, the, the black and white days where it's, just kind of really mm. mysterious and uh, even not even it's kind of like the time tunnel but it, it just could be anything couldn't it it's, uh, yeah you can tell they're really evoking the sort of Hartnell aesthetic I suppose yeah and, the, and the, with the theme tune as well going back to those old so I, I'm pretty sure Sagan the composer said that they've actually used the original sounds in this new theme yeah they um, sampled from yeah. the original Delia Derbyshire stuff haven't they yeah mm-hmm um, but yeah, um, I think it's absolutely amazing this type of sequence, and especially um, the fact that it was made by uh, John Smith. Um, he, he's made some incredible fan videos for the show for years now, um, and finally, you know, they've they've actually gotten him to make the the actual title sequence, which is amazing. Seeing, you know, like just like with the Capaldi era um, titles, that was originally a fan creation, and now this is another fan you know, showing their passion and getting recognised for it, which is fantastic. Ah, uh, brilliant. I didn't know about that, actually. I knew the Capaldi one was was um, by an idea by a fan, but I didn't realise mm-hmm. this one was as well. Yeah, this one was, yeah. which is which is really cool. 
and no pre-titles. Um, there's no scene beforehand, which uh, was surprised me a little bit. I wonder if that's yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a, a trend that continues. It, it's going to be interesting to see whether it is or not, um, because I, I imagine, um, as we were discussing just before we sort of um, started the podcast, in a way. Uh, the woman who fell to earth in this story formed the opener in a way um, mm. because they very much spread out the um, the classic introduction elements, you know, the TARDIS reveal, the titles and everything. Um, and I, I suppose in a way the ending of the last episode served as the pre-titles. It was that cliffhanger sting, so you didn't really need that yeah. um, for this one. Yeah, I felt... Like if that if this had been the pre-title sequence where we've got Ryan and Graham aboard the ship, mm-hmm. um, the point where Angstrom says, which is just going to come up in a second, where she says something like, "If they're still there, they'll be dead." Mm-hmm. I feel like if that was um, if this was a pre-title sequence, that's where the music would have crashed in um, by way yeah. of a mini cliffhanger. That's a really good point. Actually, that could have worked really well. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting choice that they didn't do it there. Yeah, and I think as you were mentioning, um, I say before we started recording as well, this is the continuation of an incredibly long day for the Doctor. Yeah, uh, I mean, with the exception of however long went between, you know, with Grace's funeral, it's still in essence the same long continuous story that started all the way back in the world enough in time and you know the doctor went through all this fought the cyberman yeah. met his first self regenerated crash landed and finally after all of that reuniting with the tardis and sort of having the status quo back together again <laughs> yeah so this is um we meet um ebso as well here the uh, mm-hmm. the other contestant. I really like the bit where um, Yaz comes out of the um, medical booth type thing, and the doctor's mm-hmm. already kind of embroiled in the adventure and having an argument on the bridge with the guy. Yeah, I really love these these opening scenes because you're you're thrown right into the action. It's very disorienting, which obviously reflects how how Ryan and Graham and Yaz are all feeling. Yeah. Um, and and they make really good use of the long takes in this scene as well. Yeah. You know, it helps you stay in the action. And I, I I don't think they've really used them, at least not in this way, much before in the show. Um, not the sort of long. You sort of see now he it goes behind um episode's back and that's kind of a cinematic style we've not really seen i don't think um yeah I so it's fascinating that actually, but yeah it is isn't it it's uh great and just just the doctor already all this kind of stuff like being an expert on every type of ship that she's in mm-hmm. yeah I, I love i love that they're just she knows exactly what she's doing. She's arguing uh, with the guy who's, you know, they're, they're butting heads a bit. And yeah. it's classic Doctor action, but it is, it is nice seeing... You, you do really get to see it from Yaz's perspective because you are just thrown into it. Yeah. And like her, you're just like, what's going on? <laughs> and then once they land on the planet here, it's so cinematic. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, production value-wise, it's it's one of the the best-looking episodes um, ever I think this, the ship oh, looks yeah. amazing there the, the, the kind of panoramas yeah it looks uh... 
Yeah, you can really see the, the change in cameras. Um, I, I, I'm not an expert on the actual technicalities of it, but um, I know that they upgraded to a higher fidelity uh, lenses, and um, it definitely shows. It's one of the most visually beautiful episodes um, that we've had. And, and the shot that really struck me was the... Um, when they're traveling in the boat and you just see the reflection. Yeah. I, I just thought it's such a simple thing, but it really, I, I felt like we haven't really had shots like that in the same way, the same level of sweeping landscapes um, as much. It gives it a massive sense of scale, doesn't it? That you, you mm. don't often mm. get, even on a planet, maybe if it, well, in the old days it was always a quarry, wasn't it? You'd see a small part of it. Yeah. You didn't get the sense of traveling across a planet very much. Um, I suppose mm. like the keys, Keys of Marinus, that kind of thing, but it was uh, yeah. they, they couldn't do anything like this to uh, to get mm-hmm. that that sweeping sense of scale. I like um, yeah, the way uh, episode talks about his ship. It's like Han Solo, the way Han Solo talks about the Millennium Falcon, isn't it? Like it's famous and people sang songs about her and things. Yeah, he's a bit. He's kind of modelled after that archetype, isn't he? The the loner, the gruff kind of. Loose morals kind of guy, yeah. um, and he's a lot more uh, bitter than someone like Cancelo. He does, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a bit more of a joker as well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a good, he's a good character. I think both of the um, the main side characters in this story are really good. Yeah, when when Angstrom here, she sees the ship and she she shouts Fingstad. Um, I didn't think he'd made it, and I thought like, is that his surname or something, or is it just like um, an exclamation from her planet? I didn't really. Get what that meant. I don't. I don't really know, to be honest. Um, I'd probably have to watch it with audio again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because uh, I, I always thought that she just said his name, but obviously I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, with the subtitles on, yeah, it's like she says Finkstad, but I thought maybe it's just um, oh. something to kind of uh, you know add a bit of um, a bit of colour to where she's from and things. Mm-hmm. When they run away from the shop, uh, from the the ship, the shot where they run away from the ship made me think like they're running in its path they could have they should have tried to sort of veer off to one side uh, oh it's the, it's the classic uh sort of you, you always yeah. see it in films like don't you that, that cliche you could just run to the side but yeah. no you're, you're just gonna run straight even though that's not the most sensible thing to do yeah prometheus <laughs> is the uh the, the really famous example isn't it and if you've seen that where the uh, mm-hmm. the great big alien ships roll yeah, yeah. <laughs> So this is um, all filmed in South Africa, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. Um, and you can definitely see why they've, they chose South Africa as a location. It's got a phenomenal coastline yeah. um, and amazing landscapes. So I was, I was there recently for a month um, uh, back in August. I spent the whole month there. And, yeah, <laughs> you definitely, I can definitely see why they chose this place. Yeah. So were they filming at that time, do you know? I don't believe so. It was earlier in the year because I think this was one of the earlier uh, filming blocks. Right. Um, at least, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, uh, but I, I don't think they went in chronological order with the filming blocks. Um, I think they filmed the Rose Parks one before this one. Um, um, but I could be misremembering. Yeah, because sometimes um, they don't always film the first story for a doctor first, do they? They no, they don't. Of, um, get used um, to the character a little bit first. Uh, but yeah, um, 
And now we have the uh, the uh, the sort of race kicking off. Yeah. Uh, when they go and talk to this guy. Yeah, I like that line where uh, he said, Do "You know what that is," and goes, "Yeah, it's a tent." <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, yeah, there's, I think there's some really nice uh, kind of humorous lines in this. Yeah, but there's a, the the writings. I I did kind of feel like um, I mean we'll. we'll, we'll we're probably going to talk about this a bit more, but uh, I, I'm personally still adjusting to the shift in the difference in writing style um, because obviously we've had what eight years of Stephen Moffat, yeah. and we're so used to that kind of quick flash going back and forth kind of really clever dialogue, and I didn't feel like that was as present in uh, the woman who fell to earth. Um, uh, I did feel like the dialogue was a little bit clunky at some times, mm-hmm. um, uh, even though it did definitely have some highlights um, and some really good lines. Um, and the same was kind of the case with this episode. Like, I feel like some of it feels a little bit on the nose sometimes. Yeah. Um, but there are some really, really good lines, especially from the Doctor um, and from Graham, actually. I like Graham's, like... <laughs> I really like what Graham brings to the dynamic. Um, yeah, because with um, with Bradley Walsh's kind of comedy background, it, mm. it, it makes sense for them to bring that. Obviously, the last episode where obviously lost his wife, there was no no hint of that. Um, no, um, and he was totally. But even before that, he was sort of holding back and quite scared. Where Grace was ready to to kind mm. of rush in a bit into the danger. Um, but this one, yeah, it, it brings out a bit more of that, doesn't it? Even those sunglasses. Um, just seeing him stand around and it was quite funny. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing that um, uh, that's really nice about this episode um, in terms of our handles, Graham and, and Ryan, is how, uh, especially Graham, he's kind of, I, I get the feeling that he's using what happened to Grace not as a, he's not moping about it, he's, he's using it to embrace uh, these new circumstances, even though it's out of his comfort zone, because he knows that that's what she would have done. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I know um, a lot of people, uh, myself included, weren't the greatest fan um, of, of Grace's death, uh, mainly because it kind of falls into some pretty well-trodden tropes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> fridging um, is the term that's yeah. usually used. Um, and... Um, you know, a lot of it will depend on how it's handled uh, in this series, and I do think that what they're doing with Graham um, is definitely a, a better way uh, to handle the post of it, rather than him moping about. Um, he's actually using, uh, he's celebrating her um, and sort of carrying her legacy with him, um, which is good. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think the fact that he's a bit, he's a bit more outgoing in this one and a bit a bit more ready to engage with what's going on, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, so yeah, one thing I didn't really get about the race was mm-hmm. are there spectators, are, you know, are people watching it somehow or is it just for Ilin's amusement? Well, yeah, that, I think, um, I think one of the biggest things that's, sticks up for this episode for me is that it is kind of the world building's a bit uh confused well I don't want to say confusing it just it lacks kind of unity and Mm. it lacks depth really um and I I think that's that's kind of 
you end up asking these questions like, um, what is the point of this race? Yeah. Are there any spectators? Because they could probably, if it, what they could have done with that premise, which is a really cool premise, it's, it's kind of like a bit Doctor Who does Mad Max, yeah. um, Fury Road sort of thing. They could have had a bit more, say, action. They could have gone into the world building a little bit more. They could have had, like you said, cut away to spectators or something like that, which might have added to the, the sense that they needed something. And I think what this episode was lacking was a sense of urgency, despite the fact it was a race. Yes. Um, like you don't didn't really get the sense that they were on a non-stop survival uh, because it, it felt more like they were just encountering obstacles going at their own pace you didn't really get a sense of the tension and the speed and that adrenaline that this kind of uh setup really warranted um but yeah like uh, I, I i think that's kind of something i felt a little bit in the first episode as well this kind of lack of cohesion i guess mm. um and uh i'm hoping that that is just kind of chibnall finding his feet a bit establishing the character characters because what these stories do really well is the character work um i i think i think well, as i said before about and um, the woman who found to, to earth um jody is amazing 13 is so well written and well realized and she's absolutely fantastic and she already feels very new and different and and her own doctor um and uh, and likewise the companions are all really interesting and and likable and enjoyable uh but i i, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent so because obviously we're, we're doing a commentary here but um i'll kind of get into this a bit more but yeah it's that sense of cohesion that i'm not really sensing as much so far and i'm hoping that that will especially as we have a, a larger arc and large character arcs it'll become more and more prominent and it'll fall into place more and more because it's a very different style of doing things that's what we're used to so it's, it's just a case of getting used to that i think yeah i think there's there's a feeling i mean obviously we, we know very very little about the rest of the series compared to usual mm-hmm. but there's a sense that we might not be done with a lot of things um like the the stenza have been mentioned again mm. in this so it seems like they are definitely going to be a recurring threat um and tim shaw himself wasn't kind of definitely dead at the end of it um and it feels like any of these characters could come back as well it, it, it could be that I, they meet illin again they could meet angstrom or Epso again so yeah i i have a very strong feeling that we're going to meet those two again because their ending was so quick there was yeah. the resolution it's just <laughs> bam they're gone now um and um, I do recall, uh, like, uh, the BBC Instagram or Doctor Who Instagram posting a picture of um, Angstrom saying, um, you know, the actress makes her debut, which kind of implies that um, she's going to show up again. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And like you said, with the stanza, I, I, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure if that's actually going to be, like, the series arc. It kind of... It kind of feels like a bit of a red herring to me, um, yeah. because they also hinted at another arc, which I feel like is going to be the bigger thing. Um, yeah. But I suppose we'll talk about that when actually <laughs> yeah. they reference it. With the mention of the Stenzer, I wasn't sure if that was just to add more weight to it, because this is the only alien that these characters have met so far, the, as in the companions, <laughs> and they've had such, um, obviously, a, a big impact on them with the, the, the death of Grace. It was just to kind of yeah, increase the stakes that little bit more. 
Um, <laughs> but it does seem like they've got this huge reach because they've they've been on this planet, they've been cleansing um, Angstrom's planet, and they're hunting on <laughs> Earth, and it's established that they're like hundreds of solar systems apart. So yeah. it seems, yeah, kind of given that sense of scale that they would they would reappear. Um, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't th- put it past Chibnall to to be slowly putting more and more breadcrumbs in the trail. Um, and and, and I, like I said, I, it still feels like a red herring to me because one thing he does very well is his long-running mysteries. Yes. Um, yeah. Obviously, in Broadchurch, that's very evident. Um, and I have a feeling that either that's going to be a red herring or it's going to be, there's going to be more to it. Like the Daleks will be behind the Stenzo or something like that. Yeah. That would be a very, especially insisting there are no Daleks in this series. That's almost, yeah. <laughs> that's almost asking for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That could be the kind of the last cliffhanger reveal or something, couldn't it? Of the, of the mm-hmm. season. Yeah. This, I'm uh, just going to mention the Venusian Aikido here, um, which is. Oh uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah, because as a as a reference, it's it's great that it's um, it's not something that's referenced that much, and it you know it makes sense for any of the doctors to to be able to call on it now and again. Um, but with a new kind of bit of texture, funnily enough, that, it was sorry. Oh, no, you, you go ahead. New bit of texture as well that it's Venusian nuns, um, which I don't think mm. any of the doctors have mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of, it, it um. It's a really nice little moment, and it's funny how um, the last time it was referenced was technically, as we were saying, well enough in time. Oh, <laughs> so maybe it was, it was just yeah. on her mind. I was thinking that I couldn't think of it having been referenced, but yeah, it was when um, the twelfth Doctor uh, flips that guy over to the blue guy on the uh, yeah on the, of the ship, yeah. Uh, and then we've got. I want to see Jodie do that. Yeah. <laughs> So this bit about the water, um, when she scans the water with the sonic screwdriver um, and you find out that there's the um, flesh-eating microbes in there, I can't believe that was never used. That seemed like such a setup that like, um, it would be going to be a way of defeating a, uh, an opponent later on or someone yeah. was going to end up in there. Again, it comes back to, to what we were saying before. Um, you feel like maybe this... This script needed like another draft just to, to polish up, mm. um, link, making sure all of those elements came together a bit more, um, because that's really what I felt it was. It was lacking a little bit. It was lacking one definitive point. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to um, get too sidetracked. Um, yeah, I actually. Yeah, I, I, I suppose it depends. Are we gonna like have a have like a summary afterwards, or yeah, are we yeah, gonna? Yeah, Yeah, so I'll, I'll get into the I'll get into that more um, as we go. Um, yeah, because just just before I the really water like... bit, you have the the sort of Chekhov cigar bit, don't you? Where the uh, mm-hmm. the goes in um, episode goes into detail about the cigar, and it says like, oh, it's soft lighting. You just need to click your fingers, and you think mm-hmm. that's an odd thing to say. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then I thought the water was going to be the same. I thought oh, these are all going to be elements that are going to, um, like you said about Stephen Moffat, any elements that are introduced early on always pay off, don't they? Um, yeah, often a bit. They're very tight scripts. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I think, but you can sort of see. Like, I really like this scene um, where they're just, and this is something Chibnall does really well. It's just characters interacting he's he's so good at 
handling multiple characters and the different dynamics between them. Um, and I, I really do like this scene. I mean, it, like I said, Epso is a bit of an archetype, but he's still well handled, and I think a lot of that is in the performance. Mm. Um, but yeah, I really like this scene. Yeah, because um, he's not cast as... Maybe on, on the paper he would look like somebody who was a bit tougher looking and, and more muscly maybe, but yeah, the mm. casting does does add a dimension to it. Uh, and this story about the uh, the tree climbing <laughs> is, mm-hmm. uh, is pretty brutal. I think that's what, something that surprised me after The Woman Who Fell to Earth, where mm-hmm. there were a lot of deaths, and, and what, uh, deaths that didn't really um, add to the plot at all, so um, especially that poor security guard who gets off the phone to his granddaughter, yeah, um, and the guy with the kebab and stuff. Um, that one was was quite brutal. There was a, there was a lot of deaths and mm. things, and I thought the way this one it's a it's a deadly planet, and you've got the flesh eating microbes and all these kind of stuff. I thought oh, probably Epso isn't going to make it, um, and you know. The, but then there's no deaths in this one. It's um, it's an everybody lives story, isn't it? Yeah, I think what this episode could have done with is having other competitors or yeah. an audience. So like maybe there's two competitors that you just kill off just to help show you, give more of a sense of the threat. Um, and, and like I said, having the audience, having like a scoreboard or or something. But because for most of the time, the two people racing are together, there's not really much of a sense of competition beyond them bantering a bit. Um, and they, they seem to know each other so quite well because she's talk, um, Angstrom talks about, oh, she's, he's famous for his naps and mm-hmm. it's quite kind of good natured, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean... In a way, you could remove the the race bit entirely and just turn it into a sort of kind of nice little odyssey story. So it's about them going from point A to point B and seeing what they encounter along the way. They both have goals to reach. Maybe their ships have all crash-landed, so they need to figure out where to go from there. Um, I think that might have, you know, because the race aspect of the story just isn't really utilised that much. No, um, yeah, if they'd been rival archaeologists so or something, yeah. Yeah, apart from the conflict, which obviously leads to the, the resolution of them um, ultimately uh, winning the race together, mm-hmm. but like I said, you, you don't really feel that sense of competition uh, very much in this story. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I, I think it would have worked especially with the pacing and, and, and like this, this is the thing that this story does do really well is the kind of them having these moments while they're traveling, talking. Um, if they just crash landed an alien planet and had to find a girl, like the doctor somehow found out that her TARDIS was on the other side and she says to everyone else, well, I can get you all home, but we've got to go through and see, you know, face whatever challenges await us. Um, that might have made for a tighter story, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it still facilitates these character moments, which is important. Mm. Yeah, there's because um, I think Yaz is still the most underdeveloped of the characters. Um, mm-hmm. But I liked the bit when she's talking to Angstrom. You get the feeling because she's sort of drawing information out of her which mm-hmm. is a bit like kind of probably a police training that she, you know, she knows how to kind of interview people to, uh, oh, to find out about yeah. them. And then the way she mentions a dad and a sister, you feel like that's, uh, that's mm. really something that's been set up for, uh, for the future there. And then to the second yeah. time that we see Graham waking up, uh, Ryan 
Um, second time just in this episode, yeah. isn't it? So it's, uh, I felt like, as we'll see in a little bit, Ryan's a bit more immature in this one than he seemed in the first one. Um, I suppose... His, uh, I suppose, um, in a way, he, he just feels a bit, uh, like, more impulsive, I guess. Yeah. Um, you see it when he presses the button that ultimately brings Tim Shaw um, to Sheffield. Um, so I suppose it's just setting up that he's, he, I mean, he's, he's 19, so yeah. <laughs> he's going to be, um, so you do get the sense that he's a little bit more um, uh, impulsive, maybe, Um so you do get a nice sense of, and you know things like um, uh, when they're talking about the race, he asks, you know, can we compete in this yeah. race? Can we actually, <laughs> are we eligible to get the prize? Um, yeah. So um, I, I do like that, and um, I, I really like the because I definitely something that's going to be a big theme in this series. I think is is family and fan family. Um, so you'll have sort of Graham and Ryan's father son granddad grandson relationship even though they're you know ryan's not t- t- a big fan of graham at the moment yeah. um and and um i know that um uh it, it sounds it seems to me that ryan and yaz are gonna have like a brother sister relationship yeah um which is cool yeah she she tends to um kind of bring him along when she's gonna go and do something like when they were um looking around the kind of the workshop where um, Tim Shaw came out of his pod, uh, mm-hmm. and then a bit later on in this one, she says, "Are you coming?" Because and they they go and have a look around together as well, don't they? Yeah, I, I really love um, the, 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 one of the things that is really lovely about um, both of these stories so far is there's little moments where um, the, the characters do support each other and mm. really uplift each other, um, like um, as we'll see. Uh, fairly soon when they go down the ladder and um and as is like you know I'll, I'll always always be there to look out for you when um because obviously ryan um struggles a bit with the with the ladder yeah these these robots are right aren't they these um are they called sniper droids or something like that sniper mm-hmm. bots they in the, you don't see them move they just sort of appear. No. I think the first time I watched it, I thought they were teleporting because, like this room they're in now with the uh, with the targets, mm-hmm. they uh, they sort of say, "Oh, they're here," and they're just there. And I thought, "Oh, they teleported in," but you never actually see them teleport or appear. But you never see them walk mm-hmm. or move at all. And I thought, are they actually just walking? But it would have looked a bit clumsy if they'd been crawling through those little sort of round um, <laughs> yeah. round windows that they came in, and it would have taken away from them a little bit. Um, so yeah, I never really got a sense of of how they get around. Whether it, I thought um, the first time they were like the uh, the Raston Warrior robot, you know, from the Five Doctors, mm. sort of just beam around the place. Uh, this bit with yeah, they uh, just kind of <laughs> Ryan's great with his uh, <laughs> Call yeah. of Duty. Yeah, <laughs> um, I have seen it pointed out that. And I, I'm I'm certainly not an expert, but whether his whether with his dyspraxia he'd be able to to aim that well um, with the, with the gun. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it, maybe maybe honing his skills on a 
on FPSs, first yeah. person shooters, <laughs> might have uh, helped. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, he said, I've trained for this, didn't he, with, uh, with Call of Duty. So yeah, this bit, they're, they're in the room with them, um, but you don't you don't see them arrive however they arrived, and I... <laughs> well, it, like you said, it would have been a bit awkward if they just crawled through. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I just see them like slowly on their knees just coming through. I um, I, why, yeah. Uh... But this is a nice kind of very doctorish, um, don't use guns thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like that. And this set is great as well. It's uh, obviously something they found in South Africa. It's not like anything we've seen before. It's very cool, yeah. I, I really like the um, the design of everything in this mm. episode. Yeah, a real sense of a civilization that's that's kind of long dead. Mm-hmm. But but not in like the uh, conventional sense. Like it's not old stone ruins in the same way that they look more industrial and, and modern which obviously helps the alien vibe yeah graham keeps calling the doctor doc as well which uh, previous incarnations not like that but um 13th doctor doesn't seem to mind she never mentions it does she yeah <laughs> I think particularly William Hartnell's incarnation, he was, <laughs> he was yeah. not oh, yeah, stand for that. Yeah, something I've, I really like um, about 13 so far is, is she's so gung-ho and full of energy and she's kind of, um, she kind of just says what's ever on her mind and she's very kind of just, she's just a force of nature. Um but in a very kind of bright, zappy, electrical way, mm. rather than more of a quote-unquote oncoming storm sort of way. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that Jodie definitely brings a really lovely energy to it. Yeah, and she much more aware. And obviously this is the character development with the 12th Doctor going from um, not having great social skills and interactions to, um, to where he was in, in his last series. Um, by way of kind of Clara's prompt cards that you got in um, in series nine. Um, oh yeah, that she's very it's very much aware. The um, yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely very rewarding. Yeah, uh, like when when they're in the tent earlier, and she said, uh, you know, these have all been very good about um, not going on about the fact that I've accidentally zapped them into space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a great line, and yeah. uh, and a way of seeing it as well. Yeah, something that uh, she does feel like the culmination of the Doctor's character development up until this point, especially the Twelfth Doctor's, like you said, uh, going from very irritated, like irritable, and and not really able to interact with people very well. Um, and obviously, Clara helped him grow past that, and and Bill definitely helped him grow a lot as well. Um, and you see all of those lessons that she's learned. Um, from all of her past companions uh, in in who she is now, and that's really lovely to see um, because it is, it is lovely how emotionally supportive she is of, of all of her companions. Yeah, I think um, Paul Cornell's um, Twice Upon a Time novelization really uh, sums it up really well when um, he kind of goes into why the Twelfth Doctor doesn't want to regenerate because there's been mm-hmm. so much development. Um, he's had the relationship with River Song when they were together on the 
the, um, I can never remember the name of the planet, but the... Uh, Derillium. Derillium, that's it, yeah, where, where they ended up after the Husbands of River song, the mm-hmm. amount of time he spent on Earth holding down a job and things like that. Um, it really sums it up, the, the whole incarnation, really well. Yeah, yeah, and um, you really feel like she's taken her last words to herself to heart, uh, you know, uh, run fast, laugh hard, be kind. Yeah. You definitely feel like that sums up her doctor. <laughs> yeah, you wonder how much um, they were communicating at that point, Stephen Moffat and, and Chris Chibnall. I, I definitely get a sense of him really honouring those that last scene mm-hmm. uh, of Twelve's. Um, because obviously, uh, and, he, and he actually made a very big point of that in in the first episode when when Thirteen actually says about honouring who you were before. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great little speech, that isn't it? It's, uh... Yeah. So Yaz and Ryan's thing seems to be coming across surveillance footage together, yeah. or just lost. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I suppose with the younger ones as well, they're finding the technology stuff that um, maybe Graham wouldn't be as um, as used to or adept with. Yeah, Graham's just sort of tagging along with the Doctor, yeah. <laughs> just trying to work out what's going on. I, I kind of, I really do hope that they revisit this a bit more. Um, like, like you said, because I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it as an arc on its own, mm. Um but I do think it's interesting having setting up the Stenza as like a a really oppressive race, whether they they happen to be a red herring or not. Um, and it, it does create a really really nice um, touching moment of, of pathos between uh, Angstrom and Graham. Yeah, um, yeah, the, like that's a really powerful moment. Yeah, they're from completely different planets, different experiences, but yeah, it's. Um it's a really, really good moment between them. Mm. Yeah, we're definitely seeing the Stenzer again. Because <laughs> <laughs> as I say, just even just establishing the, the scope of their reach as well, um, mm-hmm. it feels like that's that's all setting up. And I, I suppose as well, um, although I'd be very cautious about how they actually handled this, you could set it up as uh, the next time they encounter the Stenzer, Obviously, Ryan and Graham are going to feel a lot of resentment yeah. <laughs> and anger at, at the Stenza. Um, I hope it's not played, you know, if they do encounter them again, it's not played like, oh, I must get revenge, uh, because it, it, it's very cliche and not the best kind of thing to lean into, no. really. Um, I, I hope if they, if they do go that direction, it's subverted in some way, you know, the doctor teaching them that there's a better way or, or whatever. But, yeah, it remains to be seen how much of that, is going to be the arc and, and exactly how it's going to come into play because that isn't the only arc that's teased. So, <laughs> no. uh, so this, this is where um, episode now is uh, being suffocated by the the bandages. Mm-hmm. I thought when they, they started kind of moving over him when he was asleep, I thought they were going to um, take him over sort of thing, like kind of encase him like a mummy. Yeah. And then he was going to become uh, another threat to them. Really yeah, I, I, I think the design design of these like ribbon things is quite cool, um, but it, kind of underused as well. 
But yeah, yeah, I think this is one of those examples where having some disposable characters would have been useful. Yeah, just to show the level of the threat. Yeah, definitely. Um, would have showed, yeah, show the threat and how how deadly these things are, um, and how deadly the mm-hmm. planet is overall as well. Because um, obviously, um, episode pretty easily uh, cuts. Um, I mean, Angstrom pretty easily cuts episode three. So you're like, mm, how? I, but obviously the stakes are higher in the, in the scene that follows, which is a really nice scene, I think, um, when they go up to the surface. Yeah. Because um, it's a clever little payoff of Chekhov's cigar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, because it's like there's um, there's only one of the sort of um, bandages down there. So it's it's kind of picked the one, the person on it on who's on his own, He's asleep. He's vulnerable. Mm. Um, where he has yeah, great, that definitely shows greater numbers um, in the next bit. This is really nice. Yeah, that definitely. Um, yeah, I love this bit. Yeah, giving Ryan his pep talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the way they've handled um, Ryan's dyspraxia has been really, really good um, so far. Um, it is handled really with a lot of care, and um, and it's like in um, in the first episode they didn't go for the classic "oh, willpower can overcome your disability" yeah. kind of thing. Um, like it can still be a problem, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and as someone who's dealt with some level of disability in the past, um, it definitely. Uh, is validating to see it portrayed in that way, uh, albeit a different, uh, a different thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I really like um, this scene. Um, like, I think it's a clever uh, kind of a, a payoff. Them sort of digging down and and um, dodging the uh, the flames. Yeah, and, and bringing a bit of science into it as well. Mm-hmm. Using uh, using Ryan's knowledge as well. It's just the way it's lit and everything. It's creepy. Just you just see them sort of a bit out of focus, moving behind them and things. Yeah, kind but I like the kind of stuff to her hinting at what to do. Yeah, yeah, not giving away what their plan is. And now we have the the sudden arc bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, the timeless the timeless child. child. Um, which obviously it's. I, I'm assuming this is our hybrid or our. Yeah. Impossible Girl or Bad Wolf. <laughs> um, yeah, a little reference. It's, uh, yeah, outcast, abandoned and unknown. I am kind of confused as to how these random blankets have the yeah. psychic yeah. <laughs> ability to, to do that. To penetrate um, a Time Lord's mind, yeah. <laughs> um, because like their mind powers aren't used anywhere else. They're just kind of like, well, we can see into your mind now. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, that's a nitpick, really. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, it is intriguing. I mean, I imagine um, a lot of people's first thoughts about the Timeless Child probably went to Susan, because that's like the number of times oh, in, yeah. the, in the new series that people have thought that Susan was going to come back or yeah. with a reference to Susan. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things like when Missy was revealed, no one was like, she's the Rani, she's yeah. <laughs> the master, she's... Like, I, I kind of don't really want to be stuck on that train again of... Is this thing, this select number of characters? I hope that they don't just. I mean, to be honest, I think it'd be really cool if they did bring Susan back. Yeah. Um, it would depend how they did it, but um, 
yeah, it's a it's an interesting an um, interesting arc, and I hope I hope that Chris Chibnall does something new with the series arc format um, because he he said that wasn't going to be a series arc, but obviously that was a red hair that was a yeah a white lie. Um, yeah, there definitely is, isn't there? It's um, it's too um, it's too out of left field. It seems like it's the mm. only reason that the that those rags talk. Is, is to get that in because they've no need to yeah. really, have they? Yeah, this is um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll we'll get into this yeah. uh, when we wrap up, I guess. Um, but yes, yeah, so it, it's another it's another kind of symptom of that larger problem that we were talking about. Yeah. Um, so they're here at the end of the race, uh, and given that this is, they're either going to win a life changing sum of money or be trapped on this deadly planet forever. Yeah. Why are they waiting to have a conversation? Um, you think they'd be just sort of, yeah, desperately scrambling up the last few steps. Yeah. And I thought there'd be a crowd here. I kind of expected there to be. No, some it's just this one guy in a tent. And it's, it's kind of odd because he has a line where he says that he start he set up the race in the first place. So and he's a winner, like, and now he's continuing it. Yeah. Yeah. So he must have been wealthy in the first place to set it up not to have won his own money back and then he's financed every race since then but apparently just for his own enjoyment just to see people uh you know kind of how they survive in a in a tight spot and he's just decided yeah. just decided no. to end it with this one <laughs> now this bit this bit it, i don't know what it is but it does kind of feel a bit off to me because this basically episode is like threatening him saying yeah. i'll hunt down and kill you unless you play you know let us both win and, and uh, yeah fair enough he's he's not a good guy yeah. but at the same time I feel like the doctor would have something to say about threatening someone yeah. <laughs> that you're going to kill them like threatening them into because usually the doctor would you know threaten them but in a less I'm going to kill you unless you do this way yeah. um, I feel like that would have been a nice moment to maybe have the doctor speak up yeah. and you know use her words and her cleverness to to convince him um, otherwise, uh, rather than uh, <laughs> basically saying, "Oh, I, I'm going to track down and murder you if yeah. if you don't let us both win." <laughs> if he'd done that at um, the beginning of the race, it would have saved them all loads of time, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would have. That's a good point. Just you know, just give us the prize money now because I'll kill you. Um, but um, but yeah, I, it. It, it still it still got them to where they needed to be. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like, uh, well, I mean, I, I think they could have done with a line saying, oh, we didn't come when it was phasing in because they'd established that the TARDIS fades in and out. Mm. So they, they maybe could have done with a line, her saying, oh, it must be the wrong time or something to kind of validate her hopelessness a bit more here. Yeah. Um, it's, she, she just quickly kind of lose lose all optimism there i love the subtitle distant warp distant warp yeah i love this bit this this whole bit from when the tires arrives and she just runs towards it is just it's 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 really good yeah um and it's one of those moments that's just so joyful and i i just yeah it was it was fantastic you feel like the whole episode was about building to this moment of her running towards our tardis yeah, because I was a bit surprised they didn't um, eke out the mystery of the of what the ghost monument was a bit longer. Um, I suppose it was just to give them more motivation. 
yeah, uh, to, join th- to tag there. along, I suppose. But even then, they have ha- wouldn't have had many other options but to tag along. Yeah. Because um, I thought with the companions not knowing what the TARDIS was or what it looked like, we might even get a scene where they saw it and didn't realise the significance. Oh, yeah, that, like that. that would have been really cool if they'd... If they'd um, They'd hidden that from us, and maybe they arrive and they don't. They realise that there's no way out for them uh, because they tied along because they thought there was a way out, mm. and they arrive and they're just like, "Well, what do we do now?" Um, and then, yeah, like you said, if they'd seen it and then she saw it, because uh, there's that moment at the beginning where they're like, "You know, that doesn't mean anything," and she's like, "Oh yeah, that that makes total sense to me." When she sees the TARDIS and she's yeah. very excited about it. It's a beautiful um, shot on that hilltop as well with the sun low. Oh, yeah. It's terrific. It's, it's, it must have been, I, I, I think that was a seaside image or maybe, but I feel like it was the promo shoots were from that kind of scene on yeah. the hill. Um, and then we've got this, this little kind of porch now, haven't we, with the TARDIS? It's, it's a bit odd. The first yeah, time, it's so. cool. It's, 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 um, it's different, but I suppose it helps. It helps that feeling of... Um, going from the smaller to the bigger yeah because um, with the old in the old series um you'd see them go into the tides and they'd just go into blackness and then yeah. on the inside they'd sort of step out of just kind of darkness and you'd have those huge doors on the other side so there was always the yeah. sense that there was a bit bit of um bit of a kind a of disconnect yeah a bit of a lobby sort of thing that they'd, they'd pass through um so it could have been could have been like that all along yeah, um, we were saying um, uh, it's really interesting how this sort of TARDIS reveal, the emphasis isn't on the companions so much as the Doctor's reaction. I mean, it's it's here and they're, they're kind of like, oh, wow. But the real, you know, if you look at the direction and the music, it's all about the Doctor's reaction to seeing her new TARDIS. And, and I love the little subversion of, you know, instead of you've redecorated, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I really like it. Um, and I, I, I love that it's that moment of joy for the Doctor, uh, that rediscovery almost. Yeah. Um, and when she... Which really... She opens the door, she expects it all to be wrecked as well, like it was when she was <laughs> yeah. I love all these little touches as well, like the, the, the hourglass and the little TARDIS. Yeah. And the, the biscuit dispenser, which is fantastic. Yeah, I wonder if it only does custard creams. That, that wouldn't be my, my choice, I've got to say. <laughs> well, they're, they're Jodie's favourites, apparently. Ah, like uh, the right. designer um, asked her what favorite biscuit was um I, I believe um and then like he got, when she first got to see the um the set he was like press this pedal <laughs> and then a, and then a custard yeah. cream shot out i didn't um, realize it was a favorite so yeah <laughs> so, i feel like the team dematerialization effect looks different um mm, it's hard yeah, to I think so. sort of pin down but it, yeah it just kind of looked a bit um a bit different how it always has looked so yeah, there we go. That's it. That was a ghost moment. And then, yeah, next time looks interesting as well with the... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, historical episode. Yeah, I I think... I think this uh, next week's episode has the potential to be 
amazing um it would obviously it's a very complex subject matter um that does require a lot of a lot of care and 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 thank god it's written by uh, mallory blackman who yeah. <laughs> you know she's definitely the kind of person you trust for a story like that um and i think i think um rosa has the potential to be a a real classic um, and one of the greats, hopefully, sort of in the vein of Vincent and the Doctor or uh, and the way it handles the the political background and, and the racial tensions. I'm really, really uh, looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, I'd wondered if it was maybe going to yeah. be a, a pure historical because um, it would seem, like you say, you could tread carefully about how you handle it and, and maybe putting aliens in, into it would seem a bit crass in a way, but it, um, it does look like it's got sci-fi elements um, from the from the trailer well um uh, possible spoilers if you don't want to know uh too much about the episode but i believe that the uh as you briefly see in the next time trailer um it's based around another time traveler potentially yeah um, you know captain jack time agent-esque mm. uh but someone who's probably gone rogue and wants to change history for some reason uh racism probably um in this situation but um yeah i i i'd be surprised if they they threw in too many elements that felt at odds with the the seriousness of the the subject matter yeah but yeah but yeah be interesting to see how that that plays out yeah can't wait for that one yeah, um, well, I've got to say, like, I watched it um, before we, we went on the podcast, and I, I, I really, really enjoyed it, um, both times, actually. Um, it's one of those stories that is, is really fun to watch, and the character dynamics are great, um, but it is it does suffer from that problem uh, that we talked about, and I, I feel like it's a lack of cohesion, Um like thematic cohesion and and there's a loose thematic through line of of we're, we're stronger together um but it's not really paid off in the way that it could have been because you don't get enough of a sense of the the conflict between angstrom and epso mm. there's not really much conflict between the actual characters either um there's a little bit of tension between ryan and graham but that's not really played out there's no culmination to that um and the world-building elements feel a bit, uh, with exception to um, the the arc elements and the Chekhov cigar, uh, they all feel kind of like they could use a lot better and they could have been deeper. Um, I, actually, uh, I don't want to go too much into the whole, you know, comparing eras thing because I, mm. I, I'm not trying to pit the two against each other, but... Um, I actually watched um, The Eleventh Hour and The Beast Below yesterday um, and I was kind of fascinated because I, I wanted to see how the different styles compared because they're both setting up an era um, and um, if you look at The Beast Below as a second episode and a part of this is because we have one companion, it's all very much about one single point um it all comes together for one single theme and everything kind of moves towards that from the main conflict to every little moment is set up um because it's all about amy having this revelation about who the doctor is and her finding a way that he couldn't um 
And uh, that's quite a common theme in, in the first episodes, uh, the second episode, sorry, of uh, Stephen Zero with a new companion. Um, you, you see it in Smile uh, with Bill, you see it in The Rings of Akaten with Clara, mm. and it sets up, it's usually setting up the companion um, and the Doctor. But I feel like this story was more about, it was, it was, it was just, it was handled very differently. And I'm not saying that that's, necessarily a bad thing but it was just a different thing it had a very different emphasis to it um and it was interested in exploring things in a different way and i'm still getting used to that personally um but i do think that in the long run it's going to pay off because i feel like chris chibnall really is very very good at his character dynamics at his ensembles at the slow uh, development over the course of the series and I'm hoping that we'll get more focus on Yaz um, uh, in the future episodes and her dynamics with her, with um, with the others and with the Doctor um, so at this stage I, I, it, it's kind of hard to to come to some full conclusions I think um, because I feel like this is definitely the kind of series where you have to have the, a bigger picture to really understand where it's going and what everything means yeah, I completely agree. I think with Yaz, yeah, she hasn't really had her, her moment or her episode yet, has she? But mm. it seems like the mentions of her family in this one. Um, and there's some details that come out this week, I think, from Doctor Who magazine about the next four episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. And it seems like I think episode four might be more about her life um, back in Sheffield and that kind of thing. So Yeah, and there's, there's also another that. really... Um good-looking historical uh i think it's called the demons of punjab it's uh, the one set in india um and uh, that that sounds like it's a big emphasis on yours um so um yeah I, i imagine it's going to we're going to see more and more facets of these characters but it is it is just a very different approach to things because this series so far doesn't seem to go in the classic uh way that we've seen uh, structurally at least at least in terms of I mean even Russell T Davies and Stephen Moffat seem to have structurally um, they're very different writers but they seem to have the same structural kind of sense um, that I haven't seen so far um, in these two episodes because mm. um, there, there isn't really like a big moment in this this story Um you have bits where the Doctor cleverly gets them out of it, um, like escaping uh, the ribbon uh, monsters. But th- there's no real climax to it. It's just kind of, we've arrived, here we are. Um, and then they find the TARDIS. Um, so it, it's a definite new approach to structure. Um, and I, I, I worry a little bit how well it's going to work with the episodic format, because he says these stories are very self-contained, where it feels like to me that this series seems to work more on a a kind of a conventional television series approach where it's one kind of more continuous story rather than the episodes like the location might change but it seems like it's more about the through lines than the individual arcs of the stories at least that's that's obviously a very early impression so um and and with the new guest writers that might change um i I imagine with next week it's going to have a very clear arc um but yeah, it's it's just interesting seeing how the styles differ differ, and and I think um, we're going to appreciate more and more 
who this doctor is and the relationships and the overall story uh, as things go on. But it doesn't feel like we have quite as big an idea of where things are going and what things mean as we maybe did uh, with uh, Matt's first two episodes or Peter's first two episodes or, or Tennant's, for example. Yeah, and I think, I think part of that is um, the, the amount that it's secret. I think uh, in the past mm-hmm. series, we've known who all the writers are. I think we've known the episode titles and had a bit of a synopsis for each one. This mm-hmm. does feel really kind of unknown, and we're, we're only learning bits and pieces at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how much the music uh, affects that as well. It's much less kind of bombastic, isn't it, I mm. think, than, than the Murray Gold scores. Um, you know, you talk about the big moments. Um, the music is, I feel, much more subtle, even when there is quite a big, mm. a big moment. Yeah, yeah it's, it's got kind of a, a little bit of a, a Stranger Things vibe to me, that electronic kind of um, uh, motif. And, and I really like, um, I, I love the, what well, I think is the 13th Doctor's theme, you know, the, the sort of strings... Uh, coming in which is really nice and it's very uplifting yeah um but yeah it's definitely more in the background the music this time it it complements the scenes because I, I really like this new style but it is very different like you say um and it's it's gonna take getting used to i think um, and, and something that i've kind of i'm really hoping for is having the companion things again obviously you've got three different themes potentially to juggle yeah um but i i always love those um Obviously, this is a very Murray Gold thing, but the the motifs, you know, uh, like Clara's theme, obviously, um, and Amy's theme, uh, and Bill's theme, and and Rose's theme, um, th- they all bring a certain energy to them. Yeah. And um, it would be nice to sort of, uh, obviously, he's going to do his own thing, and I do think he's an excellent composer. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how the music evolves and how. Uh, and whether it does sort of, we do have those same sort of themes, um, or whether he goes a completely different direction. Yeah, I wondered because I really like the, the the doctor's first scene in the woman who fell to earth when she mm. crashes through the roof of the train, and you get the Doctor Who theme, like a really, really upbeat yeah. Doctor Who theme as a bit of dramatic music. And mm. I'd love to see that again. I thought that worked really well, and I wondered if we'd, we'd get that this oh, yeah. week in a in a um, you know kind of heroic moment um of the doctor doing something but um we didn't get it this time but yeah um i'd love to see that because that's something we've not really seen before maybe kind of just like a couple of of notes of Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think that would be a really really strong strong motif if um if you brought that in yeah i think i think again that kind of feeds into the the problem with this story of how you didn't have the sense of urgency you maybe should have, and I think the music, and, and he was composing to the story that was written, but maybe if we'd have more of a sense of, uh, like, the direction, I, I almost feel like uh, that first scene, you know, the first scenes in the spaceship, if they'd kept up that momentum and that adrenaline of those first scenes, which are excellent, it would have really served the story, like, served the, uh, the story they were going for more. Yeah. Um, either they need to play up the race as much as possible have uh, an audience or other competitors or um 
or, or else have just taken that, jettisoned that idea completely and just made it more of a conventional, we need to get from point A to point B and just focus on the characters and the obstacles they confront along the way rather than kind of having this hybrid of neither really being able to shine as much as it could have, mm. maybe. Um yeah, that, that kind of sums up my feelings uh, on the story. And uh, although it, it, it's still it's still very enjoyable, um, which you know is the the main thing. If, yeah. if you enjoy it, you you can look past some of these things. But I I do hope that as the series goes on, it will get stronger at these things, at tying all of its elements together, um, and making sure that it really lands uh, where it needs to. Um, because it, it's it's. It's a wonderful new tone. It's a wonderful new set of characters that we have. And I, I just really want them to make the absolute most of that, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as you mentioned, the the other historical episode we've got coming up, the, um, mm. the Indian one, that'll be great to see. Because, um, it, again, it takes us back to the beginning of, of Doctor Who, where you know, mm. you've got the Aztecs and Marco Polo. You know, it wasn't just British history, um, which is which is the you know, the vast bulk of what we've had since then. Yeah. Um, it'd be great to visit other cultures um, in a historical setting as well. I Yeah, absolutely. And I think not only does it make sense from a, a storytelling perspective, um, but also it it, it 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 just feels like, it, like you said, it's so Eurocentric um, a lot of the time. Um, and and um, it's nice to, especially when... Doctor Who is such a global audience to actually reflect that in the stories um, because the recent series haven't really done that much um, and also this sort of return to using historical settings as the conflict rather than as more of a backdrop yeah. um, which is what, what, what it has been recently in recent series which isn't necessarily a bad thing but um, I do think it's it's important to to use the historical settings to to the best you know, to really take advantage and make the most of it. Uh, and especially with these particular two settings, um, it's you really want to make sure that they're handled with care um, and with by writers that really know about these issues and can really, uh, especially, you know, people people of colour for the Rose... Um, for the Rosa Parks one, having a black woman writing it... Um, and um, having a man of Indian descent writing the um, uh, the one set in India, it's really important to to have those voices out there and to have those stories told. Um, and I think, um, and I think what's really important, especially, is is the way that they can tell more complex. They can explore more complex subjects with the historical um, backgrounds that that really need to be. Uh, talked about more um especially and doctor who is really a great platform for that um because i know that there will there'll be a lot of people who who maybe don't know who rosa parks is and um don't know her story and and the significance she has um in history and and i i think it's fantastic that doctor who which is such a broad audience is really going to explore that and and hopefully, and I think it will, with Mallory Blackman in the writer's chair, um, we'll really explore that well and, and really uh, really um, handle the material well. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think those two stories especially have a lot of potential to be really special. 
Yeah, and like you say, for younger viewers as well, like who, who you know won't know the story, um, it'd be be educational. I know, like I grew up <clears> reading like the target novelizations of Doctor Who books, and I learned loads about history from <laughs> just yeah, reading those. That yeah, exactly. Stuff that wasn't you know didn't do at school. Um, you know, kind of uh, I know about from those. So uh, yeah, it's nice that that's going to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It does kind of all of this really, and and I'm not. Um, certainly not the uh, the authority on this because I haven't seen many Hartnell serials, but um, it does feel very Hartnell. All of this, like down to the the, the titles and the music, um, and um, the number the of kind companions of, and things. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, you've, um, even got, you've even got that sort of um, grandchild's grandparent um, dynamic as well, which is uh, oh yeah, there. absolutely. I mean, it, it would be it really would be the perfect time to bring back Susan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah who knows um it's uh it's pretty um just right at the start we mentioned the the book uh the woman who lived um mm-hmm. which yeah, if anyone hasn't read it it's um it's it's a really nice book and just a, like a beautiful book as well like you said the illustrations mm-hmm. the way it's laid out and everything um but when they talk about the the mysterious woman from the end of time um, and I know Russell T. Davis wrote in, in the writer's tale that he intended it for, for it to be the Doctor's mum. Um, yeah. He said it can be whoever you want. Um, mm-hmm. And in, in the book, they raise the possibility that it's Susan. And that's kind of my head canon that it's um, it's kind of a regenerated Susan who's uh, gone back to Gallifrey for the time war. Um, and that yeah. had like, a big impact on him seeing her. So uh, I was pleased that was in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would be interesting. I, I suppose that's... Um one of the reasons they they might have been hesitant to bring Susan back in the past is all of these questions. <laughs> you know, what was she doing during the time war? Um, what happened after she was left on Earth? Um, uh, like, there's a, there's a lot to to kind of uh, bring people up to speed on, I guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They'd, they'd have to be they'd have to introduce her very carefully, wouldn't they? Without yeah, kind mm. of alienating people. Um, but um, I mean, there's always the theory that she isn't actually a time lord as well, isn't there? So uh, yeah, yeah, could, uh, yeah. But that's getting into a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of continuity that they probably want to avoid at the moment as well. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it how it plays out. Definitely. Well, thank you very much for for joining me. It's been um, a real pleasure discussing this episode with you. Oh, likewise. I've really enjoyed it. And um, we'll have you back on the podcast after Series 11 to talk about the Untold Adventures. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, obviously, uh, with the with the buzz around the new series, we're, we're, we're kind of waiting until, um, until after that to really uh, ramp things up with the promotion for our series um, because we, we want to kind of give, give people who are maybe feeling missing having Doctor Who on air something to to enjoy because um, I'll, I'll release Windows uh, early next year so um, so keep an eye out uh, over the coming weeks um, and uh, we'll have lots of little teasers and exciting little things to show you because uh, it's all it's all um, trucking along uh, <laughs> um, yeah and, and lots of exciting stuff's happening so uh, yeah stay tuned for that Brilliant. I can't wait for that. And I'll, um, I'll put a link in the show notes again if anybody hasn't um, seen the website and the, um, the kind of epic trailer and stuff you've got on there. I will uh, I'll put a link in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so next week I'll be discussing the episode Rosa. Um, it will be, the episode won't come out until the weekend after it's broadcast. 
uh, but it'd be worth waiting for. I've got Jason Miller as my co-host in that episode, who is um, an American. You've probably heard him on previous episodes, but he's an authority on the civil rights era, so that'll be um, a very interesting conversation, I hope. Just finally, where can we find you on, uh, is it Twitter and um, Tumblr, Ruth? Uh, yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter as um, at undiscovered ADV, uh, which is short for Undiscovered Adventure, um, and uh, on Tumblr at the Lazy Cat Bakes You Flays, um, and uh, obviously the Untold Adventures dot uh, com and um, uh, Clara Oswald TUA, which is our Twitter. Brilliant! Everyone should should definitely check that out. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.